How many of you have seen the movie Up? Be honest. Hi. Okay, good. Good. One of you, uh, answer me this question. Do you remember what the major distraction for Doug the dog was? Squirrels. Yeah, there you go, right? Um, uh, yes, uh, very, very well said. That is exactly it. You might uh, not be surprised that a dog would be distracted by squirrels, but in case you missed that clip, here's an 11-second clip that you get My to see Doug collar. My nephew who made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! <laughs> My master is good at <laughs> I show the clip this morning because I think this is where our text takes us. If we're honest this morning, we're often like Doug in our spiritual journey. Our master is good. I love our master. God, I love you, squirrel. Right? Uh, if you don't say right, you're lying this morning. Our text this morning finds the Apostle Paul speaking to the Colossae church, and I just gave you two answers this morning that I often ask you, right? The Apostle Paul has written to the Colossae church in the letter of Colossians, but here's the question that I want you to answer. What does he write about? What is the theme here? Making much of Jesus. Thank you, Rick Work. I'll give you credit where credit is due today, right? All right, good deal. Making much of Jesus. Can you say that together with me? So, so when I ask you, what is the purpose of this book of Colossians that Paul writes to the church in Colossae, you would say? Very good. Very good. So let's jump in and look at the text, and, 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 and we're going to make some dangerous applications. I know that's uh, scary to some of you, enthralling to some. You, 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 you slide to the edge of your seat. He's going to say something crazy today, isn't he? Yes, I am. So, so, so hang in there, right? Uh, some dangerous applications to this text. But turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 16 through 23. And, and I actually, actually mean that. If you've brought your Bible or you have an electronic device that has a Bible on it, if you turn there, if not, in your pew Bibles in front of you, and page 984 is where our text is today. Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 through 23. Remember, Paul writes to the church in Colossae to make much of Jesus. And why? Because they had fallen prey, the people in the church had fallen prey to some major squirrels that have taken their eyes off of Jesus. We've called it syncretism, right? This idea that, that things of the world have snuck into the relationship with Jesus and have distracted them. So Paul writes to them, and in chapter 1, he prays over them that the church would know more of Jesus. And as he continues, he begins to share how amazing Jesus is as he makes much of Jesus at the end of chapter 1. And then as he heads into chapter 2, he continues by sharing that it is his job, and therefore our job, that we might present others in our midst mature in Jesus, because Jesus is worthy of that. And last week he emphasized the amazing resume that we have in Jesus. Hopefully remember those points, that our hearts are circumcised, that the flesh and the sin of our hearts have been cut away by Jesus. That we've been baptized in Jesus, baptized in His death and the forgiveness of our sins, and uh, out of the water in the resurrection of the goodness of God, the righteousness of God. This is our resume, circumcised in our heart, buried with Him in baptism, risen again with Him in the resurrection. And then he says this, we were dead and made alive. That's our resume. And even last week, he began to warn us of the squirrels that take us captive. This week, he continues on the distractions that often take our eyes off the Master. 
that take our eyes off our God and we go, squirrel, in our spiritual journey. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. It starts this way. Therefore, and when we see the word therefore, we ask, what's it there for? Oh, you guys are getting so good at that, right? Um, yes, so, so uh, understand as we head into this text, Paul is saying again very loudly, very clearly, uh, I've given you some really good theology, some, some good principles, but now we're getting into application. So this is what you're going to do with the fact that we've made much of Jesus. This is how it should look in your life. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? Uh, these have indeed, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." Wow, you ready to dig into that? May God help us as we look to His Word. Here, here's the underlying question that I kind of want you to ask yourself as we walk through this text. I think it's the question of the text as well as the instruction of the text. And that is this. What are your distractions in your spiritual walk? And what are you doing with them? So if we're to use Doug, here you go in your spiritual journey, you're worshiping the master who's given you a great caller, and then all of a sudden, squirrel, right? What is it that takes your eyes off of Jesus? What is it that becomes the distraction? And the first point this morning is to really look at the squirrels, uh, the distractions in the church of Colossae, and maybe make some applications of our own. Listen, this isn't a full list of distractions in our lives, but I do think they are some significant ones that underlie some of the other ones that we might recognize in ourselves. What are the squirrels? What's Paul addressing in the church of Colossae that might begin to apply to us as well? The first is this. There's two. The first is this, the love of the law. The love of the law. So, so Paul here in verse 16 tells the Gentiles not to let the Jews pass judgment on them regarding their non-participation in Jewish things. He says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So what he's telling the Gentiles is this. Get one of those really good pork chops from the local deli, right? And make sure you cook that up on a Saturday, Right? Right? He's giving them freedom. Listen, listen. where the law does not pertain to you as Gentiles, don't let the Jews place the law on you. In case some of you don't know, Jews don't eat pork, and so pork chops, Saturday being the Sabbath, right? Got me? Right? So the reality is it's not necessarily an invitation to, to, to abhor the law, but listen, Gentiles, don't let the Jews create man-made laws that bind you. Make sure we're not simply just in love with the law. 
But it's also a heads up to the Jews here that they, they might be a bit obsessive compulsive about the law. <laughs> right? And it's a natural thing that they are. The law has been their life. If you would have grown up in a Jewish family in that day, you would have memorized the law. The Ten Commandments would have been a big deal. The whole Pentateuch would have been a big deal. The whole idea of loving the law was at the very center of life. The law has been their life, and that's certainly not bad. It only becomes troublesome. It only becomes a squirrel when it becomes more important than Jesus. Who came, by the way, he said this in Matthew 5, not to abolish the law, right? So he wasn't doing away with the law, but he was to fulfill the law. He was to fulfill it. In fact, Jesus teaches us that the purpose of the law was ultimately to convince us that we couldn't keep the law. (laughs) Why? So that we would have to turn to Jesus for forgiveness of the reality of our lack of ability to keep it. Right? That we would indeed seek Jesus to be right in the eyes of God, not by obedience unto the law. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, re-intensifies the law. So if you you read that in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, he says, listen, uh, you shall not commit murder, but even if you hate your brother, you already have, right? So there's an an intensity to the law. He he brings us back to what the the law is meant and and really be able to say, listen, you can't do this. doesn't mean you shouldn't chase after it, but you can't love it as the way in which you'll get to heaven. You can't love the law more than you love Jesus. Because then the law becomes a squirrel. Sometimes the church is guilty of this, aren't we? Especially, I think, when we're dealing with the world. And here comes dangerous application number one. Are you ready? Halftime shows at the Super Bowl seem to be an ongoing problem for the Christian community. I don't know what you did during halftime last Sunday, right? Um, It was the one time that Deneen was very glad that Scott and I were buried in our phones playing games. She's usually getting, get the phones out. When Shakira and J-Lo came on, get the phones out, right? That was, that was the deal, right? So, 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 so here's this Super Bowl halftime show. But here's what I notice, church. That Christians, and some well-meaning, some good, with some tremendous points, I think they had an expectation that Shakira and J-Lo would come out with turtlenecks on and sing Kumbaya. And I'm here to tell you, if you go watch a Shakira and J-Lo video, They don't sing kumbaya, and they don't wear turtlenecks. So why would we expect them to be something that we want them to be so that we can say, that was a good Super Bowl halftime show? Ooh, you're forming your emails now. (laughs) Are you condoning J-Lo and Shakira? Of course not, right? That's why I put my phone in front of my face. Should have turned it off. Right? I, I, I'm not saying that it was good. I, I'm just saying that as Christians, how do we find our place in the world? How, do we sometimes take our law because we love the law, love modesty, love...
funny, isn't it? Okay, uh, but I have a big enough mouth that will continue until they kind of figure out. To... Are we good on my back? Oh, see, God does love me. So here, here it is. Do you get my point? I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying, as the world, what do we expect the world to do? And are we leading them to Jesus when we judge them on questions of dress and song choice? My point in the dangerous application is that our judgment of people who are not like us can often become a distraction, a squirrel. And we can begin to love the law and what we want people to look like to us as more important than Jesus revealing themselves to them. I mean, it appears to me that in the Gospels that Jesus was much more comfortable standing among the sinners to reveal himself to them than he was standing among the churchgoers who stood to condemn the sinner. We can't get into the distraction of loving the law more than we love Jesus. Second thought I think he says to the Colossae church is not to be a lover of experience. So Paul tells the Jews to be careful to not be disqualified by the ways of the Gentile. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, he says, insisting on asceticism, we'll get to that, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So at first he talks to Gentiles because there's Gentiles in the church and, hey, be careful of the Jews and their love of the law. But now he's going to talk to the Jews about the Gentiles who love the experience, right? Because in their pagan traditions, experience meant a lot. Ritualistic dance. Ritualistic sacrifices. Seeking the presence of whatever god or goddess that they were doing. And they've carried them over. Do I need to stay here? Oh, I have to stay here. All right, so, um, so it's carrying them over into the, the reality of getting a new microphone. Thanks, Frank. They knew I couldn't stand behind the microphone, so they got me All right, so, so, so here this asceticism. What the heck is asceticism? Big word here. It, it is the, I, I asked Google... I have a little thing in my office. I say, okay, Google, tell me what it says. This is what it said, right? That it's when we live in abstinence of things that negatively impact our spiritual journey. It wasn't quite what Google said, but that's essentially what it is, right? So that you, you give things up in order to live a more perfect life, right? So, so the, the pagans were into that, and they were into sacrifice, and they were into experience. You understand what I mean? Their, their senses were really important to them, and they've carried those over into their love of Jesus, and, and, and some of it's just not right. And so Paul says to the Jews, hey, don't, don't let them disqualify you by getting you into these things that aren't about Jesus, but are about their pagan traditions. Just like he told the Gentiles, be careful you don't get into the Jewish traditions that remove them from Jesus themselves. Are experiences with Jesus a bad thing? Of course not. But listen, if our attention becomes more focused on the thing rather than Jesus, then we are being distracted. It becomes a squirrel in 
our lives. Dangerous application number two. Not to pick on a movement and not to waver again into too many dangerous applications, but, but what started as some amazing revivals that were scattered over the landscape of the U.S. has in some cases become heretical theology in the Pentecostal movement. All right? You Pentecostals, bear with me. Because I have deep relationships, deep friendships with Pentecostals. And we would agree on a lot of things, not on everything, but we would agree on this, that those who have divulged themselves in a gospel that promotes wealth, health, and happiness (laughs) have found a major squirrel in their life that has taken their focus off of Jesus and onto the experience of what it means to be a Christian. And that's a dangerous distraction. In many cases, a heretical distraction. Now, it's not necessarily my place to judge them, lest I fall into the first category that I just got hard on, right? But it is my responsibility to make much of Jesus and the truth of the Scriptures. And people of God, what many teach in the experiential movement of the prosperity movement is not the truth of God. So here, here Paul's summary statement in, in verse 23 He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Rick standardized version, my own RSV, there are a lot of things out there that man has made up that will sound really good regarding life, but they are of no value to you regarding your walk in Jesus. They're distractions. They're squirrels. And Paul says... We need to be on guard to not be distracted by spiritual squirrels. Even those of you mad at me, are you still with me? Okay. We'll continue anyways. All right. So, so that leads us to this question. If, if those are the squirrels, if, if those are the things in, in this text, the, the love of the law or the love of the experience, then the question is, or the teaching of Paul becomes, how do we identify our squirrels and avoid them? That are, that are absolutely beautiful, that are all worth a sermon. We're going to go quickly. Ready? In verse 17, verse 17, Paul says this, These, meaning the love of the law, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I want you to think of that image. He's going to give us three images in this text that help us to identify squirrels and help us to avoid them. And the first is this. Are you chasing after the shadow or after the substance? It's actually kind of a silly thought, right? Thinking about chasing after a shadow. Can you ever catch a shadow? No. There's nothing you can actually get. It seems like a cruel trick we would play on our cats, right? After the shadow, can't get after the shadow, right? And yet, when we love the law, Paul says, and it becomes a distraction to us, we're actually chasing after a shadow, not the substance. It's a good thing, but it's a good thing that should lead us to Jesus. And if we simply chase after the shadow to be good little Christian people, and we don't get turned to Jesus... And we're chasing after shadows, and shadows are empty. But it's so true of me, of us, that we get so invested in something that seems so right that we chase after it. It becomes our thing, our soapbox. And rather than following the shadow toward the light that casts it 
and the substance of Jesus, we chase, we chase after those shadows. If what you are chasing, here's a concluding thought to this chasing after shadows. If, if what you are chasing seeks to make people more like you than it does make them more like Jesus, you're probably chasing after shadows. What's the second image that Paul gives in, in verse 19? He, he gives us this image. This is aimed at the Jews with regard to their influence of the Gentiles. He says, uh, you're not holding fast to the head, which is whom? Which is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. In, in reference to the experiential traditions of the Gentiles, Paul warns the church not to grab hold of the body, but to hold fast to the head, which is the originating point of the growth of God, whom is Christ. We're told time and time again in the scriptures of the reality that Christ is the head of the church. It, it is that part of you that controls all others. And sometimes when we try to latch on to the experiential, we're, we're latching on to a, a result rather than a, uh, a place in which it originates. The image is kind of similar to the shadow, but the repetition is good. And I'm, I'm seeking after the real source of growth, or am I chasing what I see as growth in others? For instance, Jeff shares this morning that the, the kids went to Seneca Hills and had a great retreat. And some of you would go, well, next weekend I'm going to Seneca Hills. Because there's where spiritual transformation happens. Right? Because it's all about the experience. Or I have to go on a retreat. Or someone comes back from some conference and they're going, oh, my life was changed. And then you're going, hey, when is that next year? i got to go. Now listen, how, think about how crazy that sounds. You know what God is after? You know why that heart got transformed on that retreat or on that conference? It's because it was open to the power of the Spirit to change it. So what we need to hear is not the experience and run after the experience, but to hear the fact that their hearts were opened. And, and even today, we don't have to wait a year in order to open our hearts to the realness and the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. It's not the experience that we chase, but it is Jesus who creates the experience. Don't grab onto where you see growth happening. Grab on to the source of growth. Don't grab on to the body, but to the head who controls all of the ligaments, muscles, and all of the growth that happens in the body. Thirdly, Paul says this, in identifying our squirrels and avoiding them, play. Um, it's, it's like playing among the dead things rather than the living. But look, look at verse 20. If with Christ... You died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't chew, don't drink, don't date girls that do. It's not what it says, but in essence. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The, the image is actually rather morbid, but it's helpful. How many of you would allow someone that you love go play with corpses? Hopefully none of you. But so often in our spiritual journeys, we continue to run after the things that we know offer no benefit in eternal matters instead of running after Jesus. 
We spend our time amidst things that only offer death in place of the one who offers life. This is certainly true of legalism and experimentalism, but but Paul returns here in summary of the things that we talked about even last week, the elemental spirits of the world. So let me return to some thoughts even from last week. Striving for our riches, striving for popularity, striving for success, living in our lusts, living in our selfishness, living in our pride. They, They are the things that the world says are important. And Paul describes them more accurately as playing with things that are dead in place of living with our focus on Jesus. How do we identify our squirrels? If it leads to anything but Jesus, it's a distraction. Hear that. How do we identify our squirrels? If it points to anything but Jesus, it's a distraction. John MacArthur actually has a great sermon on this. I would call your attention to it. Some of you know Grace to You, gty.org. If you can go and look up the scripture, you'll find this message. He preached it about uh, ten years ago. And uh, in, in it, he's describing a conversation uh, that he often has uh, with folks who are not yet believers. And as he begins to explain the gospel and Christianity, he says, a question that I often get from not yet believers is, well, what's Christianity going to do for me? Not an unusual question in the Western world filled with consumers that want to know what it's going to do for me. John MacArthur basically uh, rhetorically asks that question at the beginning of the sermon, and he begins to unpack some things, and, and he unpacks some things like uh, what, what normal answers would be. So let me tell you what's running through your head when I ask you that question, right? The reality of what, what's, what's, what's Christianity going to give me, right? Some of you, I think many of you, would say eternal life. That would be a big one. Woo! Yeah, going to heaven. Is that a bad thing? No, that's a good thing, Right? Uh, Some of you might say, man, I found so much hope in my life in Jesus. I found so much peace in my life with Jesus. I found grace to forgive me of the sins uh, that I know I've committed. That forgiveness piece is is really good. Listen, uh, some of you even might look favorably upon a moral compass that Christianity has provided for you because you recognize that you came from a place that had no moral compass, and so the moral compass is good. set of rules that help keep you uh, in line to the place in which Jesus would have you. So we get all of these answers, right? And they're all good answers. But listen, MacArthur comes to the end and he goes, they're all great answers, but there's really only one answer. He said, listen, if if heaven is the reason in that you are... um, that uh, you think you, you want to become a Christian, then you'll begin to worship the idea of heaven and you'll miss Jesus. If hope is the reality of your Christian walk, then you'll begin to search for nothing but hope and when suffering comes and hope wanes, you'll lose your faith. If peace is what it is, on, you better get ready because there's a lot of unrest in the reality of a Christian journey. And, and, and if it's peace that is the major thing, then, then peace is going to lead you astray. You see, when all of those things become squirrels in our lives, we tend to make gods of them, and and we'll lose our understanding and our sight upon Jesus. So this is what John MacArthur says. He said, when somebody asks me, what am I going to get in being a Christian? He says, Christ. That takes some explanation. But but here's his equation, two equations. He, He says this, anything as an answer to that question outside of Christ demeans Christ. And then he gets this equation. That's how he ends the sermon. He says, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
You math people are going, well, you can't say that. But it's true. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Last week I talked about it as Jesus plus. No Jesus plus, just Jesus only. Why should we learn to walk in faith in Christ? Because Christ is everything. Let me finish with an illustration that actually MacArthur uses in that sermon, and it's good. He says, Dr. Collier was a uh, very wealthy physician in Chicago land back at the end of the 1800s. Um, very successful, very affluent, uh, developed a huge estate, and in that he had um, two sons. And after his wife had preceded him to death, Dr. Collier died uh, at the beginning of the 1900s, and he gave his entire estate to his two sons. Their names were Homer and Langley. Homer is a fine last name. If you're pregnant, Homer is not, you know. But their names were Homer and Langley. Uh, Homer actually had gone to school as an attorney, practicing attorney. Uh, Langley finished the college education, had a great career. But when their father died and gave them the estate, they both quit their jobs and moved into the mansion. They were bachelors, living on their own. And everybody's like, that's weird, but Okay. Until years went by and things seemed to be even weirder, that there was this seclusion of the brothers in the house. And pretty soon, um, uh, years had gone by and the reality is that they boarded up the windows and they began to notice that there were padlocks on the doors. Nobody knew what was happening. In fact, many of the neighbors thought that the house had been completely abandoned. Until one day in 1947, the police got an anonymous tip that someone had died in that house. And so they responded, and they went to the house, and they went to the front door and undid the padlock and tried to go in, and yet the door was barricaded. They couldn't get in. They went to the back door, and the same was true. And so finally they got a ladder and went up to the second floor, went into a window where they found Homer dead on his bed. But what else they found was trash upon trash upon trash, appliances in the bedroom and throughout the house, used furniture that had been broken and destroyed. Things that had no really earthly value whatsoever filled the house. And over the next three weeks, they took 140 tons of trash from that house. And in that, they found Langley as well, who was crushed by a self-made trap in order to protect his trash. It's a morbid story. He said, why do you end with that story? I don't know about you, but sometimes it reflects my spiritual journey. That I ignore the inheritance given to me in Christ and fill my life with other things that have no heavenly value. That if someone were to look at my soul, they might even call me a spiritual hoarder. Because I'm way too used to being distracted by squirrels than having my eyes set on Jesus. And I'm wondering if that might be true of you. We have an inheritance. Circumcised. Right? Our hearts circumcised. The flesh taken away. Baptized. 
in His death, risen again in His resurrection, dead now unto life. That's our resume. But way too often, I want to add to the resume, perfect church attender, one who visits the shut-ins, one who does this, one who does that, one who does this, one who does this, one who feels this way. And I've added all of these things to my resume when my resume was complete before I added anything to it. In fact, anything that I can add to the resume, anything that I can add to my inheritance, Paul says is worthless, like dung. Here it is, young kids, sorry, like poop. That's what he meant. What are your distractions? What are your squirrels that take your eyes off Jesus? And on even good things, like the law, like experiences, like a walk with Jesus, but is not focused on Jesus. What's your distraction? What is your squirrel? May we, Covenant Church, begin the journey of adjustment this morning, of turning our focus in all we do upon Jesus, upon our inheritance. Because this is true. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray.